God to bless our study in his word. We'll be looking tonight at Revelation chapter 9. Father, we do thank you for, again, just the work that you did and the women, Lord, over the weekend. And uh, so many of them came back just filled with your spirit, working in their hearts and lives, and just really overflowing, Lord, with the goodness of being with one another and being with you. And I do pray, God, that that will just continue to, to minister and and uh, produce fruit in their life, Lord, that it would be more than just kind of a, a, a weekend, but really it would just begin to impart a lifestyle of worship and communion with you and that intimacy with you, Lord. And God, we ask now that you would speak to us out of your word as we've come back together now as a church family. Father, we want to come and Continue our study verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. Lord, we're, we're interested in the whole counsel of God. Every, every bit of it, every part, every word that, God, you have given to us, we want to look at it, we want to consider it. And we ask tonight that you would speak to us, Lord, as we study these passages in the book of Revelation, and that you would be glorified in this place. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as you know, we are working our way through the book of Revelation tonight. We'll be looking at chapter 9. I hope to get through the whole chapter, Lord willing. What we've been looking at, just to give a little backdrop, remember the Apostle John is now seeing things that are yet to come. He's seeing visions of things that are going to yet come upon the earth. And we, as often as we can, we look for kind of a literal understanding of these verses. Sometimes there seems to be symbolism and some things that just have to be understood in a spiritual sense, or in some cases we just don't know until God begins to fulfill these things. That's the way prophecy is. It's not always so crystal clear that you can predict exactly how things will happen. In fact, often that's not the case. You get rather a general sense And until the Lord actually begins to fulfill it, that's when it becomes really clear as to what God has prophesied and now he begins to fulfill it. But rest assured, every bit of it will be fulfilled. Every word will be fulfilled right down to the letter. But uh, we're looking at this section now. You remember John saw uh, the beginning of judgments that would be poured out upon the earth. A scroll he saw in heaven that had seven seals on it. That scroll, we believe, represents something of the the title deed to the earth or uh, kind of the, the end of God's redemptive plan for the earth. And there was none in heaven worthy to open it except one, the Lamb, Jesus, the Lamb of God. He, through his work at Calvary and resurrection, I'll have to get back to them on that call, but thank, <laughs> tell them, thank you so much. But... Uh, we're seeing now that this scroll is being opened. And there were seven seals upon the scroll, you know, like a wax seal that would seal up a scroll. And with each one of those seals being opened, it represented another judgment that would come upon the earth. And at the seventh seal, what it did was open up a whole other set of judgments. We are now into those seven trumpets. And what we will see is at the very end of the last trumpet, it actually will open up to seven bowls of judgment. So this is kind of an an ongoing time of of God dealing out judgment upon the earth. We believe that these things are going to happen at the the kind of the end of the age that we believe will be a seven-year period. We've done all the background on this coming up to here. I'm just trying to refresh your memory and bring you up to speed. The seven uh, years, we think we've seen that in the, the book of Daniel, 
seven weeks of uh, prophecy, and there's one last week representing seven years uh, to still to be fulfilled. And so what we're looking for now is all of these things that will ultimately happen in that last week or that seven years, the tribulation, also known as the Great Tribulation. And so as we read tonight and look at some of these judgments, indeed, it will be a time of great tribulation. We believe that the church will be caught up with the Lord just prior to these judgments and wrath. The Bible says of the church of Jesus Christ that we are not destined for wrath. And this is a time of great wrath, a time of wrath like never seen before. And since the church is not destined for wrath, we believe that the church will not be present at this time. There will be many that are going through it, and there will be many that come to faith in Christ during this time. We saw that the ceiling of the 144,000 representing, we believe, those uh, Jewish remnant returning and finding Christ. There will be more than just 144,000, but these will be specifically marked by the Lord and have unique ministry. We believe of evangelism during this time of tribulation, and many others will be coming to the Lord, both Jew and Gentile. So that's kind of the setting that we're in, and I just wanted to bring you up to that, and then let's take a look now. What we've seen so far in the first four trumpets that we, we've, we've worked our way through most of the judgments are judgments that are coming upon the earth, kind of natural judgments uh, coming against the earth. Now we're going, they're, they're not natural, they're supernatural, but they are all coming against the natural order of things. You know, uh, the water supply and different things happening. But now we're going to see actual judgments being poured out on the lives of men. And it goes now really to a time of spiritual warfare and spiritual judgment, and we'll see even the demons uh, are very involved in this these last days. Let's take a look, if you would, verse chapter 9, and let's read through the first few verses here, and then we'll take a look and try to interpret what's happening. Then the fifth angel sounded. So it's the fifth, fifth trumpet going off. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth, to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. Now let's take a look at this and we'll, we'll read on. He goes on to describe the appearance of these locusts, but... Notice he says that, he, that John sees a star fallen from heaven to the earth. Now, we don't think this is a, a, a natural star or a, you know, a celestial being star, but rather an angelic being because it says to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Oftentimes in the Bible, angels are referred to as stars, and this seems to be an angel that has fallen to the earth. 
And he's given this key to the bottomless pit, and we'll talk about the pit in just a moment. But who might this angel be? Who might this fallen, this star that has fallen to the earth be? There's some different ideas, but uh, many believe that this represents Satan, or at the very least, some type of a high-ranking demonic angel who is going to be in league with these forces of darkness. And it may very well be that a reference to Satan. I'll give you a couple of other scripture references that, that, that can possibly lead you to that. And Isaiah, you don't need to turn, but I'll just read it to you. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground. You who weakened the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high, Satan filled up with pride. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, the lowest depths of the pit. So Isaiah prophesies of Lucifer as being a a star fallen from heaven. Jesus said that I saw Satan falling like like one of the stars. So it may be that this is referring to Satan, and he is given for this season a, a key to the bottomless pit. This bottomless pit, the abyss, it's a place that's referenced in other places in Scripture also. Let me give you a couple of references, but here's what we believe it is. We believe that there is a place that the fallen demons are actually incarcerated. This is a holding place for not all demons, not all fallen angelic beings, but some. Some that have been ex- exceptionally evil or wicked, God has imprisoned them into this place, this holding place, and holding them there for this, this day where they will be let loose for a season. Ultimately, God will be throwing them into the lake of fire, but at this point they are in this place. There's a couple of other references in the scriptures that give us this idea. In Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, and again, you don't need to turn to these, I'll just quote them to you. Uh, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, this is Peter now talking about angels who fell, but he, he did not spare them, but he cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Speaking of angels that sinned, God has placed some of them in bondage, chains of darkness, waiting a time of judgment. Also in Jude, verse 6, talking about these fallen angels. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great of the great day. And you also may remember when Jesus, and during his ministry, when he came to Gadarene, you remember the demoniac that was there, and he ran up and had this encounter with Jesus. And Jesus asked the demon, what is your name? And the demon replied, My name, our name is Legion, for we are many. How many of you remember that account? Jesus, uh, and here's what they said to Jesus once they recognized who he was. What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him, and they begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss. That word abyss is that same place, the bottomless pit. They did not want to be sent there. In fact, in Matthew, it says, have you come here to torment us before the time? 
They knew, these demonic beings, they knew that there was a place of holding, a place of the abyss, a, a bottomless pit that God has the power to send them and imprison them. They also know that there is an appointed time. They know, they don't know all the details and they, they don't understand all that God has, but they have a general idea that, you know, there is a battle, there is a day of judgment still coming. Have you come here to torment us before the time? Don't send us to that place. And you remember he cast them into the, you know, the, the, the swine and they went over the cliff into the sea. So we know that there is a place, a spiritual place. We believe it may be somewhere in the belly of the earth. It's, it's, it's some place that is able to hold and incarcerate spiritual beings. But during this time of judgment, when this fifth trumpet goes off in the book of Revelation, these demons that have been there are going to be unlocked. The, the key is going to be, the door is going to be unlocked and they are going to come out and torment the earth. And they're going to come out and they're going to, they're, they're, they're likened unto locusts. Now, if you've ever seen, you know, I've seen some of those TV shows where they show the, the you know, the plague of locusts when they come through. I mean, they do, they come in, the whole sky is darkened with them. They come in like a cloud and they just destroy everything in their wake. And so these, these demons, as they come up out of the bottomless pit, the sky is darkened. There is just this uh, innumerable amount of them, and they come like locusts, just onslaughting. But these are not like regular locusts. These may not even be insects. In fact, we'll read on that probably they are not. We're not sure exactly what they are. They may be beings that you know we have not seen. They may be certain you know, types of things that we haven't even seen before. In fact, John has a hard time describing them. He has to use kind of picture words to try and tell us what they're like because he's never seen anything like them. But they come in this great horde and they come and they're not allowed to harm any green thing. So, you know, locusts, that's, they eat every green thing. That's what they do. But these locusts are different. They're unique. They're not allowed to touch any green thing, trees, grass, and rather they've come to torment men. But they cannot touch the men who have been sealed by God on their forehead. You see that in verse 4. We've talked about that, those 144,000 believers that were sealed. But also we talked about God sealing all believers. All of us have been sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, the church, we believe, will be absent during this time. But what about those people that do become Christians, those that do come to faith during this tribulation period? They are going to be protected from this particular judgment. They're going to be there when all of these things are coming upon the earth, but they are going to be protected. These these demon powers will not be able to touch any of those that are sealed of God. But so devastating and so horrible will this torment be that it's going to be something like a scorpion when it strikes a man. Now, I, I've never been stung by a scorpion. In fact, I don't think I've ever even met anybody that's been stung. Has anybody in here ever been stung by a scorpion? You have? It's painful? Yeah. Anyone else? Like fire? Like fire. Burns. Yeah. And I've, I've heard that it can, I mean, in some cases it can even cause death. It can cause, you know, convulsions. It can be, it can be very, very poisonous. So this is, these demonic forces are going to have this type of power to injure and harm men. But something very interesting, death is not going to be available. There are going to be men that want to die. They're going to seek death. 
but they won't be able to find it. Now, I don't know exactly how that's going to work, but God is able to keep the body and the spirit united. And there may be some that even attempt suicide that will not be able to, that will be part of the judgment. They will have to endure a five-month Endure uh, pouring out of this judgment for five months and men will try to escape it. They will not be able to even death will not be a way to escape this particular judgment. Let's go on and read just a little bit more about these locusts, what they look like. Uh, You can follow there with me again in verse seven. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. Now, you'll notice again, this is John. You'll see this a lot like horses prepared for battle. On their hairs were, on their heads were crowns of something like gold. And their faces were like the faces of men. He's doing the best he can in giving a description, but he, he can't tell you exactly what they are. He's never seen anything, so he's saying that they're like this. And we can only, you know, imagine really what these creatures look like. Many have speculated, even many Bible, uh, scholars have tried to interpret what this might mean. Maybe these locusts, well, let's read on and I'll give you just a couple of the ideas, but really no one knows for sure. Uh, They'll they'll have uh, crowns, something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions and... There were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. So this is a description of these locusts. You know, we can, we can maybe interpret some things uh, that John describes, and maybe symbolically it's representing this. They're horses prepared for battle. I mean, these are demons that have been chained up, and they are out, and they are ready to go. I mean, they are ready to charge, eager to charge. They have crowns. And long hair, which is something of a of an honor, and these, in, in, in a sense, they have they've been given authority for this season. They've been given this time, and they have opportunity to do these things. God is going to allow them. They have faces of men, which is indicates that they are intelligent. These are not insects. These locusts are not just bugs. These are these are beings with um, you know the rational and intelligent beings. Teeth like lions, they're going to be very vicious. Breastplates of iron, they will be virtually invincible. Nothing men will be able to do to stop them. And, of course, they'll be coming in such a a large number that their wings will be the sound of chariots, an overwhelming onslaught, and tails with very painful stings in them. As I mentioned, many have tried to discern what these might be. Some have thought, well, maybe these are helicopters with... um, you know, coming in a fleet of helicopters, you know, with the the chopper wings, you know, sounding like, you know, thunder, and and maybe they'll be bio, they'll have, um, you know, some kind of uh, uh, bio weapons, you know, uh, and that'll be causing this torment. I mean, just no way to know. It it is possible that these demons could actually stir up men in some type of an army. But, you know, that's just speculation. We just can't really know exactly how these things are going to play out until, of course, they begin to come. And John has to use language that he's seeing things. Remember, he's, 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 he's come from, you know, the first century, and he's seeing things that are taking place, 
you know, at the end of the age and just he, he's seeing things that he can't describe in his own, you know, vocabulary. So he has to give these kinds of images to us to help us understand. But not only are these locusts coming, but they also have a leader, verse 11, and they had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past, behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Both in Hebrew and Greek, this name means, the Hebrew word is destruction, the Greek word is destroyer. This king over the angel of the bottomless pit, he has a, he has a name, he is destroyer. Now we do know that Satan is referenced often, often as the one who kills, steals, and destroys. And so this could just be another reference to Satan. Or it may just be one of the, one of the angels in this bottomless pit that has leadership and comes out and rules over these demonic forces. No way to be sure. But clearly they are coming for one purpose, that's to torment, to uh, judge men with painful stings, and they are able to do so for five months. But yet still, one woe is past. Behold, still more woes are coming after these things. Let's read on. There's still more to come. As if that wouldn't be enough, there are still more judgment. Let's look at the sixth trumpet, starting in verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. So now a voice comes out from the altar, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the sixth trumpet sounds. A voice from the altar tells the angel to release the four angels that are bound at the river Euphrates. The fact that these angels are bound indicates that they are most likely, again, demonic angels. These are fallen angels because God's, uh, you know, the angels that did not fall in the rebellion, they are not bound. So these are angels, again, that seem to be ha- have a special kind of uh, bondage upon them. They are being held back for just such a, such a time. The angel, the uh, river Euphrates, uh, the, the river Euphrates is, uh, it's a, there is an actual river. It comes out of the sources, it finds its source near Mount Ararat in Turkey, and it flows more than 1,700 miles and empties into the Persian Gulf. It's the longest and most important river in the Middle East, and it's quite often referenced even in the Old Testament. It was the very eastern boundary of what was originally the promised land given to Israel. It also became the boundary, the eastern boundary of the Roman Empire. That's when John is writing this. So this is the river that is kind of marks the boundary to the far east of the promised land, Israel, and kind of where, where, where John is seeing his vision. So something is getting ready to arise and come out of the east, and these angelic beings are going to unleash them. Let's read on, starting in verse 15. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year, boy, God knows it right down to the hour, were released, listen, to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. 
And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. And by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. So in the, the fifth trumpet, death was not available. There was a, this tormented sting. Men wanted to die but could not. But now this sixth trumpet sounds... And it brings nothing but death. And a third of all men, mankind upon the earth are going to be killed by this giant demonic army from the east. Whether it is a demonic force, literally, whether it is a demonic force, you know, rising up in a human and man-made army, we cannot tell. Many, again, have speculated a 200 million man army that'd be a pretty pretty big army some have speculated you know china perhaps some someone from the east and all of these all of this description could be describing a war machine that begins to come and destroys but you know it'd be pretty hard to circle the earth and destroy a third of all mankind i mean we just don't know we can speculate but Honestly, we, we just have to kind of leave these things in the hands of the Lord. It's going to be very, very devastating. And it's going to be uh, mass death across the earth. But here's what I'd like you to see tonight. And we'll close here, these last couple of verses. And probably the, you know, probably the, the, the heart of really what spoke to my heart in this whole chapter. In verse 20. But the rest of mankind, now that, that is those that continued to be alive after this, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk, and they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Imagine this kind of plague upon the earth, this kind of devastation coming upon the earth, and those that, that remain, those that live through this, do not repent. Their hearts are not softened toward the Lord. They continue in their pursuits I mean, it just almost seems crazy, doesn't it? Imagine a third of men dying and, and you live and you continue to pursue material things, images of gold and wood and, you know, still trying to, to gain your possessions. My goodness, most of mankind is dying, but, you know, keep my stuff. And they continue, you know, it just all, it almost seems impossible to believe, but it reveals something about the heart of men. It reveals something about the conscience of man. The Bible says to guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. And it's a sad commentary on man, but, you know, we can look and we say, wow, you know, what, what silly people to be behaving this way. But remember, we too are men. We too are vulnerable to have consciences that can be 
you know, numbed, seared. We too need to guard our hearts. It shows a quality, it shows a capability within man that you can become so set, so determined in your own way that seemingly nothing can, can bring you back from this type of lifestyle. They continue in their idolatry, the pursuit of things and the worship of demons. They continue in their activities, murder, sorceries. Uh, sorceries also includes drug use. That's, a tip, that's a, in fact, even insinuated in this word. And their sexual immorality, they continue in immorality and they continue in theft, continue to steal from one another, murder one another, and sexually con, uh, immoral conduct. Paul warned Timothy of these types of days. He said, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy. Listen, having their own conscience seared as with a hot iron. Of course, I want to caution us as believers. We want to keep our conscience and our hearts tender. I want to be quick to repent. I don't want to have to, you know, be so stubborn and so set in my way and so determined in my course of action that even trial and trouble, there's seemingly nothing that God can do to, to get me from it. And we see this. I see this even in some lives today. I mean, people are just so determined. They're, they're, they've numbed their conscience so often and so many times that they've just almost become insensitive to, to even hearing truth and the gospel. The writer of Hebrews says this, Beware, brethren. So this is to the brethren. This is us. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Talking about the rebellion of Israel in the wilderness. They hardened their hearts. And the whole generation failed to come into the promised land. The warnings are, are clear here from scriptures. And we see even in this, this description of judgment that those who survived, it didn't, it didn't change them. It didn't, they didn't repent. You know, there's a lot of talk about how can a loving God, you know, how can he allow all of this type of... But you see that that men are so determined that there comes a time when God has no recourse but to judge because men will not change. They will not repent. They will not turn their hearts. Not that God has desired that. Not that God wants that. God is ever wooing us to the, come to the Lord. The Holy Spirit is faithful to bring witness to us. The Lord is good to us. The Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. But when, when kindness and mercy and Christ and, and all are rejected over and over and over again, then judgment comes. And oftentimes judgments come again in an attempt to, to kind of awaken the heart, awaken the conscience to Christ. The prodigal son, remember, it was when he finally hit rock bottom that he came to himself and realized, what am I doing? 
Before that, he was just out doing what he was doing, living in sin. But there comes a time, and, and clearly in this, this passage in, Rome, in Revelation 9, even at the end of these great judgments, these hearts, the hearts of men are unrepentive, unchanged, unmoved. I pray that we as believers would remain sensitive in our hearts to the Lord. How do you keep your heart? How do you guard it? How do you keep it tender toward the Lord? Fellowship with him. You've probably experienced this. I have. You ever been kind of just gotten so busy and you've gotten away from prayer and gotten away from spending some time in the word and maybe you've been out of church for a little while and and what happens to you spiritually? Do you stay strong and sensitive and tender to the Lord or do you tend to get a little numb and kind of crusty? (laughs) And a little, you know, other things that, you know, start showing up in your thoughts and your lifestyle and, and, you know, images that maybe used to offend you now. ah, Well, you know, you can, your heart's not as sensitive. Your conscience is not as sensitive. We need that relationship with the Lord. We need to be renewed regularly in our walk with the Lord. That's what coming together and studying His Word is about. That's what coming together amongst Christians and kind of encouraging one another. That's why it says in Hebrews there, brethren, you know, exhort one another daily. Come together and encourage one another in the Lord. Keep your heart sensitive and active in the Lord. Because so easily we can grow cold and distant from the Lord and then we become vulnerable, don't we? That's when the enemy looks to pick us off. That's when temptation just at the opportune moment seems to pop in and show up and we're in a place of compromise. Of course, Revelation 9 is talking about a a group of people that are destined for judgment. And I'm talking to you mainly as believers, but I am saying that our hearts, they, they they also can grow cold. They can grow hard. We can become distant in our walk with Him. And I'm encouraging you to stay close to the Lord and break up the fallow ground, the Bible says. You know what fallow ground is? It's that ground that's been hardened by the rain and, you know, and, and, and it, over time the sun and the rain and then it, that ground just becomes hard. It has to be broken up again to receive water and nutrients. And so our hearts, we need to break up sometimes, keep it soft and tender to the Lord. I want to be sensitive to the Lord. The Bible talks in the psalmist, he says, you know, don't be like the mule, who needs bit and bridle to go where you want it to go. But I want to lead you, that same psalm says, I want to lead you by my eye. I just want to look and you know. I look this way and, ah, yes, Lord. I just want to guide you in a gentle and we're in concert together and the Spirit leading and I'm sensitive to Him and I want to respond. I don't want to be like the mule. Over here, right? So the Lord wants us to be tender towards him. And you see the end of that hardness. And uh, I would encourage you, relationship, worship. Worship is a time of kind of opening your heart up again to the sensitivity of the Lord and the Holy Spirit because God wants us to be quick to respond, quick to repent, and uh, led by his Spirit. All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this chapter of Revelation, chapter 9. 
Lord, we just uh, we just have to be honest. God, there's there's so much that we don't really understand of this imagery. We're not sure, Lord, what what these things will be like. Many have speculated, Lord, and there may be some truth to it. There may be it may these may be this may be John describing some end of days armies that that will be demonically inspired and come and inflict things upon men. It may be. Or it may just be demonic forces that come and are unleashed and all of a sudden we're able to see these angelic beings that we know exist, but normally they're they're hidden from view, but it may be that they take shape and are able to come and do battle against the sons of men. We don't know for certain, Lord, but we know this, that every every word is going to be fulfilled. Every word is going to be accomplished. These things are coming. And Lord, I can't help but think that before it gets here, Lord, before men's hearts are so hard and so cold that they cannot come to repentance, even in the midst of this great, that type of judgment, before that happens, Lord, how we need to be busy about our Father's business. Because today, Lord, people still are coming to you. Hearts are repenting. People are coming to Christ. Lord, I, I just saw just some images of this of the last harvest crusade this past summer down at the Anaheim Stadium and literally thousands of people coming to faith in Christ. So, Lord, here we are. We have this season. We don't know how long it will last. I don't know how long it will be before these other things begin to take place. But today, we still have daylight to work in. And Jesus, you encouraged us to work while it's day, for night cometh when no man can work. So, Lord, we have opportunity to share the gospel and to save, to see men saved from these things that are coming. And hearts are not yet so hard that they can't repent. Lives are not yet so, des- uh, so uh, determined, Lord, that they cannot be changed or rescued. So help us, Lord, as believers, to keep our hearts sensitive to, to you, to be led by the Spirit, but also to be sensitive to the, to the lives that you want to rescue still. Because you are a God that wants to save. You are a God that wants to redeem. And Lord, just as we close here tonight, I do want to give, while our heads are still bowed, I do want to give an invitation. If there's anybody here today, this is a message that might be hard to, to understand and think, you know, if you've never come to church or just kind of new coming and Wow, not really understanding what's all of this coming, but know this, that God is going to pour out judgments for sin, but he wants to save and rescue. And he calls each man one at a time through the spirit in their heart to come to Jesus, come to faith, come and be sealed by the mark of God on your forehead so that these things will not come upon you. And come now while you can become a part of the church and a part of the family of God. Have your sins forgiven and have your heart softened. The Bible says, I'll, I'll take out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. And so as our hearts are bowed here tonight, Lord, I do want to give an opportunity. If there's anyone here that needs to come to the Lord for the first time, or maybe you need to come back to the Lord and rededicate your heart. Maybe your heart has grown cold and your heart has grown hard. 
but you need to come back and have it refreshed tonight. I'd love to pray for you if that's your heart tonight. If you need to come to the Lord or come back to the Lord, would you raise your hand so that I can see you tonight and I'll pray for you. Anybody here tonight? Well, Lord, we do thank you for your word. We do thank you, Lord, for your ministry of your spirit. And I do pray, God, that we would be faithful, Lord. We, these things are coming. And, Lord, I think for, for the church, as we read of these things, Lord, I don't want to just think to myself, oh, good, I'll be gone. <laughs> Lord, I, w- I pray that we will be gone. But, Lord, I want as many as possible to come with me. So I pray, Lord, that we would be faithful in our witness, faithful in the way that we live for you now. As Peter said, seeing these things that are coming, what manner of men should we be? How should we be living our lives in light of these things? Help us, Lord, to be faithful with those things that you've given and trusted to us. I pray.